morning, brethren. Good morning. Good morning. We greet those of you in the name of the Lord, especially those of you who are on various forms of media communication, whether it's on Facebook or live stream or perhaps... Listening to this recording at a later date, we take note of your fellowship with us. And we take note of your desire to look into the things of God, and heaven takes note of it as well. We continue this morning in our series on the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And today I would like us to rightly consider that Jesus Christ is actually, in fact, the expression of God's love towards us. This love is a facet of the character of God himself in Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ himself has made this manifest or revealed this aspect of God's love when he laid down his life for the sin of the world. Even though God's love is not his preeminent quality, but his righteousness is, nevertheless, this is still something that is of of a necessity that must be perceived. God himself is love. Those that don't know God don't know love. Your faith actually cannot be properly maintained outside of this perception that God is love. This is a subject that has been greatly muddied up by the institutional slime pits of organized religion. Not only has the Lord been misrepresented, but the very words of Scripture are under assault in this generation. Our society has waxed worse and worse, and it's become increasingly more associated with sin and death and iniquity that it's it's contaminated the very vocabulary that people use. And I don't want to digress from the subject at hand, but when we're talking about love, this needs to be explained. And this needs to be explained in the words that God uses in Scripture. I'm not just talking about society's language being corrupted and speaking about expletives or vain sayings. Although that's certainly a telltale mark of the serpent's work among a body of people. I'm talking about the words that actually belong. These there are words that belong to us, brethren. They're household of faith words. I'm talking about words that God has sanctified or set aside to to communicate spiritual realities to to His people. They've been hijacked by the enemy of our souls in the day that we live in. Our adversary has introduced different meanings to these words that God has defined for us. As a result, it's changed the thought that is commonly communicated when the word is heard. Words like faith and love and truth and freedom and believe have become widely used and defined by unregenerate men. And this is not on accident. An enemy has done this. And he's done this with the very words of Scripture too. False teaching, and Brother Gibbons said this the other day and I picked it up. You're allowed to do that, by the way. If you yeah. if you can see the truth, it's yeah. yours. You can pick it right yeah. on up. Yeah. He said this: false teaching isn't synonymous with wrong teaching, even though both false, even though that they're both false and wrong. Wrong teaching is blatantly obvious because it teaches something that's very contrary to the verbiage used. Yeah. 
But false teaching is not always blatantly wrong. False teaching actually, in other words, it, it, false teaching takes the very words of Scripture yeah. and assigns a new meaning to them. Yeah. It, it can take an entire passage of Scripture and twist the meaning of it yeah. right. to mean something that it doesn't really mean. Satan did this with Eve, didn't he? Yes. When he explained to her what God meant by what he said. Yes. God said, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that you eatest of it, thou shalt surely die. Satan explained those words away, didn't he? Yes. God knows in the day that you eat of it. See, he changed the meaning yeah. by what he taught Eve. That's right. You'll notice that there are wicked people in society today that are using words like love and freedom very much improperly. But not just improperly. They attempt to redefine and justify acts of pure iniquity. They have, as the scripture have declared, called good evil and evil good. Today, words like love are actually used to describe unholy unions between man and man. And words like hate are used when describing, well, what I'm doing right now can be considered in many parts of the country hate speech, yeah. even though I'm speaking the truth in love out of a genuine care for the souls of men. We plead with men, flee from the wrath to come, flee from the refugees in Christ. Nobody's going to go to the doctor's office. And if that doctor is worth anything at all, have cancer and the doctor hide that from them. Yes. That wouldn't be loving, would it? No. Would it be loving if you came to the doctor and the doctor lied about your condition? Yeah. That wouldn't be loving. But you see, the condition of men in this generation is horrible. Yeah. It's not only implorable, it's horrible where they're headed. They're headed for a lake of fire and brimstone if they don't flee for the refuge that's in Christ. And this is no doubt, this doublespeak is a device of the devil, a tactical edge of the enemy, one that is not necessarily just for the unregenerate and those on the outside of the church. This is especially for those of us who are inside the church, and we're not ignorant of his devices. And we're not going to let the world define what love is. We're going to let the Holy Spirit define what love is with spiritual words What's the remedy? We praise God that he is in the business of reconciling men unto himself. Yeah. Praise God that he has given us a tried and a true word. Praise God that he has already defined these terms and we need not accept the definitions of the scholars and the language experts and popular culture. Thank God that he's given us the Holy Spirit which teaches the things of God, comparing spiritual things with spiritual words and thank God for the hermeneutical effects of justification speaking as a man. Yeah. Thank God that when we're coming to the kingdom that there are some things that we intuitively know and even at least in this kingdom of God, even the least in the kingdom of God knows this, that what the world is saying about love sounds nice, but it's not really love. And what the world considers to be wisdom is not really wisdom. And what the world is saying about peace is admirable, but it's not really peace. 
The peace that Jesus gives isn't the peace that the world gives. What the world considers to be joy is not really joy. What the world considers to be satisfaction is not really satisfaction. When the people consider the written word of God and ask, what saith your neighbor? We can boldly respond and say, nay, but what saith the scriptures? When men begin to doubt and say, what saith the scholars? We remind them, nay, but what saith the Lord? The Holy Spirit backs that unction up, see. Today we are considering that Jesus Christ himself is the very expression of the love of God towards us. And I, I apologize to a sense for that opening, but these things need to be said. When we're talking about love, these things need to be clear cut, they need to be defined, and they need to be said because of the environment that we live in today. That's right. That's right. You gotta take all of those, all everything that the world defines about God, you gotta take it and put it in the garbage can. It's not beneficial. It'll hinder you. Without Jesus, no one would have had no one would have the faintest idea of what real love is. Jesus is the one showing us the Father, and so without if God is love, without Jesus, nobody would ever know love. Yeah, that's right. The word love, as it pertains to God, is a spiritually discerned word. It's a word that the Holy Spirit teaches and it cannot be naturally or intellectually discerned. It cannot be defined as we have already implied by those at a distance from God. God is love, so those who do not know God cannot possibly know love. Just like those who do not have faith cannot possibly define faith. And this is something that I saw. That not every truth can be can be communicated simply by putting it into words. There are some truths that must be personally experienced and perceived to be known. For instance, no matter how much I want to describe the color yellow to a colorblind person, I can talk to him them until I'm blue in the face, but until they can see it for themselves, they won't they won't have the faintest idea what you're talking about. But see, to those of us who have seen it, you can say, well, the, the color yellow, it's kind of it's kind of close to orange. But see, you, you've seen it, so you know what I'm talking about. How much more, then, can people explain the love of God if they do not know God? And if they can't perceive God? So I'm saying that if there's a wide ignorance about the love of God, and there is today, there's a wide ignorance of the love of God. There's a wide and sweeping ignorance of that. It's because God can't be seen. Because these things can't be seen. You cannot understand something that you cannot perceive. And you cannot codify every truth into the cold, hard confines of the academic realm. You cannot cram the truth of God into dictionaries and lexicons and commentaries. Heart knowledge can never become head knowledge. What you have seen and experienced by faith ultimately can't be directly transmitted to anybody else. It may appear to be that way, 
But in reality, what we are doing when we edify our brethren and build them up in the Spirit is we're pointing the way, brethren. We're pointing the way. Look, look to the Lamb of God, for He alone is able to save you. We're pointing the way. Then, as we direct their thoughts and attention and spiritual faculties onto the person of Jesus Christ, those who have eyes to see and ears to hear, when they hear the word, they understand what you're talking about. Many people today have an intellectual understanding of the love of God or even a theological comprehension of the love of God, but they don't have an experiential experience and perception of the love of God. They haven't really perceived it yet, and God won't let somebody perceive these things if they are insincere or half-hearted. While his love is tremendously large, it's not readily apparent. Like the thoughts and ways of God, all of his character, including his love, is also as high as the heavens are from the earth. Now the scriptures do make mention of the word love as it pertains to the love of men. The word loved, loves, lovely, lover, beloved, is used over 543 times in this version of the King James Bible that I'm holding right now. Many of these times it means a preference for, such as Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison. He said, make me savory meat such as I love. David wrote, O ye sons of men, how long will ye love vanity? It is written, the Lord trieth the righteous, but the wicked in him that loveth violence. He's talking about a, a preference for. Thou lovest evil more than good. Talking about a preference. Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. And we could go on and on and on, but the point is, is that man was made in the image of a God of love. And so he expresses a form of love unique from all other creatures on the earth. Yeah. But because of sin, that image has become corrupted. Yeah. Nevertheless, everyone loves something. And everyone prefers someone over another. Man was made, actually man was made this way. He was made to apply his heart to what he loves. See, a man isn't burdened by time when he's doing what he loves. If people love sports, they'll, they'll, they'll arrange their schedule around those, game, those sports games. They'll make sure that they're there. They'll spend their money. They'll spend their time. They'll spend their resources. They'll figure out a way... To go to those games. Why? Because they love it. That's right. And, and it's, not, it's not a mystery to the people who know those people either. Yeah. It's yeah. not a mystery if they love sports. They make it known because they talk about it because they love it. They've ordered their life around it. Yeah. So whenever the saints of God are meeting and you can't seem to get to the meeting, well, we're going to have to examine how much we really love God. Is if Jesus is there... I want to be there. If Jesus is in the assembly, I want to be in the assembly. Man was made to do what he loves. See, there's not, there's not really anything that's neutral. Man ultimately does what he wants to do. And he loves to do it. And, and he finds a way to do it. Salvation actually changes you to, to be in love, to be in sync with what God loves. To be in sync with what God hates. Because the love of God is not the love of man, 
or the love as the world knows or gives it. It's the love of God. It's not, this isn't a carnal love that we're talking about when we talk about the love of God, although this is widely preached this way today. That God just has like a warm fuzzy for, for mankind. He just wants to give us a big hug. This is, this is the love of God. This is a righteous love. This is a holy love. It's a love not only belonging to him, it's a love that is him. Without him, this, without Jesus, the love cannot be perceived and cannot be known. It's a love unique to God, his purpose and his person, and is fully expressed in the person of Jesus Christ. See, in the world, you can be loved by someone and actually bring you a disadvantage. You can be loved by someone and it, and it like turn out for your harm, like an, like an overprotective parent that hides every conceivable bad experience and hardship and danger from their child to the point when they grow up, they're not ready to face the real world. The, to be oversheltered and not to be prepared. But see, the, the love of God isn't like a smothering, overprotective love. It's a preparative love. It's preparing us to inhabit the world of God. When people say, oh, I just can't believe in a loving God that would put His people through all this hardship and pain and suffering, they don't know God and they don't know love and they don't know what that love is intended to produce and to prepare us for. God puts you through hardship because He loves you. Because He wants you to be prepared. Because, he, because your infirmities are working. A far more exceeding weight of glory. It's a beneficial love. It's a holy love. It's a purpose love. It's a love with an objective. It's an objective love. It's, it's more than an expression of his purpose. It's the reaction of his character. Of his nature. Of who he is. It's a constraining love. Amen. When we consider the love of God, it's always with the purpose of God in mind. It's never apart from that. Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us. And, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. See, God has a purpose. He extended himself to us at a great cost and he's called us into that fellowship. He's called us into that same purpose. He's not loving people on the sideline apart from, from a fellowship and participation in His purpose. Amen. He loved us. We ought to love others. See, we're, yeah. we're united in love. Amen. Jesus preferred others above Himself and we prefer the brethren above ourselves. When we perceive the love of God, we become a part of it. And this was manifested, the love of God towards us because... That God sent His only Son into the world that, that, that's the purpose, that we might live through Him. See, we've been called, we've been called into fellowship with Him. Well, God loves you just the way you are. See, see how that flies in the, in the face of that statement? God loved us so that we would be with Him, so that we could be like Him. Not so that we would remain just the way we are. God loved us so that we wouldn't be the way that we were. Amen. See, no truth of God, no truth of God, zero. This is how much truth of God will profit us until we become a part of it. 
Until you become a part of God's truth, it will do you no profit. Actually, it will do you harm. It will damn you. No truth of God can profit us unless it becomes a part of us. And no truth of God will become a part of us until we lay hold of it and perceive it by faith. See, it's by faith. Like we said, there are 543 instances of the word love in the King James Bible. However, the phrase, the love of God, the love of God, that is a profound statement, is only mentioned 13 times in all of Scripture. Twice by the Son of God himself, and the rest are in the epistles. Not even David, a, man's after, a man after God's own heart, mentioned the phrase, the love of God. Although the love of God is declared throughout all of the scripture, until mankind was made a new creation, he could not perceive the love of God to any satisfactory degree. Consider that multiple times... God confirmed his love to Israel and his dealings with them, but they failed to perceive it. He told the people through Moses, this is what he said, because he loved, because he loved thy fathers. This is what he told the people. Because he loved thy fathers, therefore he chose their seed after them and brought thee out of his sight with his mighty power out of Egypt he, he declared this truth through Hosea to an adulterous people. He said, when Israel was a child, then I loved him yes. and called my son out of Egypt. Yes. He declared through the prophet Malachi, I have loved you, saith the Lord. Malachi 1-2. But they totally missed the perception of it because their hearts were not changed. Amen. God's love was declared to the people, but because of sin, the people were unable to perceive it. Hereby perceive we the love of God. Yes. That he laid down his life as the propitiation for sin. Jesus said, but woe unto you, Pharisees, for ye tithe mint and rue and all manner of herbs and pass over judgment and the love of God. That the love of God was there, they just passed over it. These ought ye have to have done and not leave the other undone. They passed over the weightier things that were declared all throughout the scripture and you will find that's still very much the case today wherever there are cold, hard, legalistic approaches to the things of God, you will find people who have passed over the love of God. It's almost universal. The first encounter that we have with the word love in the scripture is in Genesis. And lo and behold, it's actually a shadow. The Genesis is a book of beginnings. It's a book of foundational truths. And this is the first mention of this word love in the, in the entire Bible. It's in Genesis chapter 22 and verses 2. He said, And he said, Take now thy son, Thine only son, yeah. Isaac, whom thou lovest. That's the first time we're acquainted yeah. with that word, brother. And get thee into a land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. Brethren, it's not a coincidence that our first exposure in the word of God concerning this word, lovest, is in such a manner. Yeah. 
The love of God is seen in the grand context of the relationship between the Father and the Son. Jesus Christ being the only begotten of the Father, that He always did the things that pleased the Father, and the Father loveth the Son. It was this Son that the Father loveth that He offered up. The Father loved the Son, and He offered up His only begotten Son. The Father loved the Son because He volunteered to lay His own life down that we might have life. Amen. When it came to how much God was willing to give, He spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all. He freely delivered Him up. Yes. No one is more invested than God. No one has given more than God. No one has loved more than God. No one is even able to calculate the magnitude of it. It's the love of Christ that passeth knowledge. Yes. It's too great to fully understand. It's too great to fully grasp. You will never grasp the entirety of the love of God. What was it the, the hymn writer wrote? If we, if we would, would ink the oceans fill, yeah. were the skies of parchment made, yeah. were every stalk on earth a quill, and every, every man a scribe by trade, mm -hmm. To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, yeah. nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. Yeah. That, that's just a small commentary on the love of God. Yeah. It's a love that passes knowledge. He laid, he laid down his life for us when we were yet without strength. When we were enemies. That's hostile. We were hostile towards God. We were enemies in our minds through wicked works. We were, contra we were in direct opposition to the creator of the universe through sin. That's what sin did to, to God's creation. It turned his creation against him. We weren't just lost. We were his enemies. And in that state, in that very state, Jesus Christ died for the ungodly. Yes. That's what it says. He didn't die for lovely people. He died for a people that were in every sense of the word unlovable. He died in that he laid down his life. It was a life forfeited. This was, it, this was a life laid down for us. This wasn't a life taken. This testified of his love. And the love of the Father... In the extent that he was prepared to go to redeem a people for himself. It proved a stark contrast. The difference between the devil and the Lord. Consider that Cain. Who was of that wicked one. Consider. He took his brother's life. To benefit himself. But Jesus forfeited his life. To benefit us. Satan thought to exalt himself above the Father, but Christ humbled himself in submission to the Father. Right. It was intentional. It was voluntary. It was purposed before the foundation of the world. He was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Even though it cost him great and unimaginable suffering. Even though he would be separate, separated from the Father and the Father from him. It is to this day a living testimony to the love of God. God has made a provision available for the whole world. 
Jesus said, For God so loved the world Amen. that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Yes. This He did not speak concerning the Father's favor and preference for the world. And this is what I'm talking about with false teaching. Is that there's a false teaching that's gone around that says that God just loved, God just has a warm fuzzy for the world. That's not what this means. It means that He provided a way out of destruction. Elsewhere it says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. If any man loved the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Why was it why was it okay for God to love the world? But if you love the world, his love isn't in you. Because Jesus isn't talking about God having a relationship with the world, and people are teaching that. When he said, For God so loved the world, seeing that the word loved is used in the past tense, not the present. It means that God provided something for the world so that he could have fellowship with them. So that they would have purpose. There is a, therefore a very important distinction to be made between the provisional love of God. What God's love has afforded man. What God's love has provided for mankind. And the experiential love of God that, we're, that we've been called into. That we know. So there's a difference between God loving the world and making a provision and God loving his children by experience. It's a different, it's a difference. What God provided for us to be saved was provided for every man unconditionally apart from our involvement. But in order to experience the love of God and to perceive it for yourself. It is a very much conditional love. If you're ever going to know, and I don't mean academically, if you're ever going to hope to know and experience the love of God, you must lay hold and apprehend by faith that which the Lord has provided. Jesus said, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my father, and I will love him. That's a conditional statement. Amen. See, that's, that's you reaching out by faith and obtaining what God has provided for you. You see, we declare these things, and as we declare them, we gain an understanding of the profound love of God. The height and depth. And length and breadth of salvation is directly proportionate to the love of God himself. There's a magnitude to the love of God that we grow to understand by, by beholding. Behold. Yes. Behold! What manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Be Behold, as you behold and consider these things by faith, they, they become perceptible. They, they gel in your mind. And, and as the day star rises in your heart, praise God that we've been given new hearts that are able to resonate with the heart of God. We've been accepted in the beloved. 
We're talking today about what the scriptures have been declared concerning the love of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. And hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which He's given to us. You will never be disappointed by hoping in God. Why? Because the love of God is shed abroad in your heart. Amen. Not our love for God, but His love for us. His great love where which He loved us. It's a, it's a love that... This is a love that ministers confidence and assurance, and it actually provokes us to love Him. Amen. We love Him because He first loved us. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us. See that? Yeah. See that? See this is this is what you this is what we're beholding now. Behold what manner of love. It's not our love for Him; it's His love for us. That has to be preeminent. And if you do that, you will love him. Amen. Notice how John was referred to the disciple whom Jesus loved. I wonder what happened when Jesus set his love upon one of his disciples. Well, it's no coincidence that he brought us a premier teaching on the love of God. When the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts, we become aware of his affection for us. We are compelled and constrained by it. We won't, you won't want to, if the love of God is shed abroad in your heart, trust me, brother, you won't want to sin. We are compelled and constrained. If you keep what the Lord has commanded, that is, you retain it, you treasure it in your heart, you keep it. That's actually evidence that the love of God is in you. The scriptures are clear. This is, for this is the love of God. That we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. <laughs> Praise the Lord. It's a love shed abroad in our hearts, not in our minds. It's not the love of God shed abroad in your mind. It's the love of God shed abroad in your heart. The Holy Spirit understands the deep things of God. This is not, this isn't a meager deposit. The love of God shed abroad in your heart is not a meager deposit in your heart. It's done in abundance. It's intended by God to be a full experience. It's something you are intended to be given over to completely and filled with. It's part of being filled with all the fullness of God. How much do you how much you get is going to be determined by the size of your vessel. See, God, God's not going to pour His love into hearts that are incapable of receiving it. But to those who have been made new, as we grow, our hearts are enlarged to make room for the Holy Spirit to shed abroad the love of God. And see, and by intention, this is by ever-increasing measures. Paul wrote that we may know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that... You might be filled with all the fullness of God. Yeah. That, that, that's the purpose. See how God's love has a purpose. Right. To know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Not, not the entire fullness of God Himself in one person. It's a fullness in your measure and in your capacity. Yes. And then when every member of the body of Christ comes together, uh -huh. it forms a complete picture of God himself. Amen. Yes. See, you will not patiently wait for Christ if you do not abide in the love of God. 
Jesus told His disciples, this is a word from the Son of God Himself, Continue ye in my love. John 15, 9. Jude exhorted us. Brother Robert went over this this morning in the Bible class. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. See, if you're in the love of God, and the love of God is in you, it will provoke you to look for the mercy of God. Yeah. See, knowing, you, you'll, you will know. You'll know that God is loving and merciful. Yes. Not willing that any should perish, but, but all should come to repentance. Yeah. Nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Amen. It's a keeping love. It's a powerful it's a powerful thing, the love of God. Keep yourselves there. Amen. The love of God is so strong and powerful that nothing, nothing can take you away from it against your will. Not even if they kill your body. It's a love that transcends space and time. That transcends temporal. It's an eternal love. It's an everlasting love. He said, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. It's an everlasting love. You may be faced with some tumultuous situations in your life. And if you haven't, then they're, they're coming. All, all who will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. You may have to, to weather out great spiritual storms. Go through sickness, pain, and hardship, and toil. You may have to contend with great spiritual champions or be delivered up to magistrates and governors or thrown into prison. And it may appear that God has totally abandoned you, but He has not abandoned you if you have not abandoned Him. Nothing is able to separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. We are, root, we are rooted and grounded in love. That's what roots and grounds us. It's the love of God. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. That's why he said it like that. The love of God is only found in one place. And that is Jesus Christ. The Father loves the Son. And it's in the Son. Where all the benefits of God flow forth to the believer. Those who are outside of Christ do not have the love of God. But rather they have the wrath of God. It's a sobering reality. That he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Yes. And it is a very dangerous thing to say to somebody that has currently the wrath of God abiding on them that God loves you. God made a way out. God made a way so that he could love you. The God of light cannot have fellowship with darkness. God loves everybody is a statement commonly said in our day, but it isn't in the Bible. Yeah. God loved everybody. God made a way out for everybody. Yeah. When the scriptures speak of who God particularly loves, we don't have to guess about this. It says, the Lord loves the righteous. Uh -huh. Psalm 146.8. Yeah. The Lord loves the sons of Israel. Hosea 3.1, whose sons you are by faith in Jesus Christ. Uh -huh. The Lord loves his people. Yeah. 2 Chronicles 2.11. It also speaks of 
who God particularly hates. The wicked and him that loveth violence, his soul hateth. Amen. Psalm 11, 5. He hates all workers of iniquity. Psalm 5, 5. And he said, Esau have I hated. This is why, this is why God sent his son as a propitiation for sin. Because God cannot abide sin. But whoso keepeth his word, in him, in him, verily, is the love of God perfected. Hereby we know that we are in him. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. When Adam sinned, our God on high did say that he would surely die. The act of sin had caused offense. Our God would surely recompense. He'd thrown out Satan when he fell. And the angels who followed him he did expel. And all of heaven knew quite well how God reacts when persons rebel. So heaven looked down on earth there to see how God would deal with this iniquity. But instead of God utterly destroying all men, he dealt with them kindly with his merciful hand. He did curse the earth, and man would sweat for his bread, but a promise he left them for the curse in their stead. The seed of the woman who would crush Satan's head. Yet the sin of man began to be spread. And centuries passed. And still God's determination to show his great love and his great salvation. He formed a people and he set his love on them. But it was never well received while they were still yet in sin. For God declared his love and did so quite often. But hardened hearts are hard until they need to be softened. So God provided escape. From his wrath to come. And taking sin away from us by sending us his son. To die for that sin which was as the sands of all the sea. And doing so when we were still his mortal enemies. Such a great love had never once been known. And now it is seen by those who are ever around the throne. No one has ever displayed such a thing as this. No man ever ever before died for the enemies of his. The ones who were lost, now he called, he reconciled them from the fall. The love of God, how could we know without his son through him to show? We could not see or yet receive. His love we could not e'er perceive until he laid his life full down. Not just to save from death, but to ready us for a crown and a place in heaven, and a bright robe gown. What manner of love is this, the heavens applaud, that we should be the sons of God. And it constrains the heart to obey and trust. We love him, brethren, because he first loved us. This fullness we will never see until we reach eternity. The grace of God and our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God be with you. Thank you, brother. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother.